Glory to God. Thank God for His body that was broken for us. Thank the Lord for His blood that flowed for us. I trust that while the song was playing and while you were sharing in the communion, that uh, your heart was deeply touched by what God has done for you. And, and that it just came to your remembrance again on what this body and what this blood is all about. Well, um, today we're going we're gonna to get into the Word and um, I'm going to talk about how Jesus Christ conde condemned sin in the flesh. Now, what I'm going to say might sound as if it is a little bit, um, as if it contradicts what I've said before, um, although this is not a contradiction, this is a further explanation of what the Lord has actually done for us. And I want you to understand uh, what condemnation actually is. Uh, what I'm going to explain to you today is very simple. I'm going to tell you that um, there is no condemnation for you and what that actually means. Then I'm going to explain to you that Jesus is the one that condemns, but that this condemnation is not for you and that he condemned sin in the flesh. And I want to explain that in the context of Romans 8 to you. Because, <clears throat> church, you know, we need to understand that the purpose, the reason why God made man was to have somebody with him eternally in immortal flesh where we would share in the quality of God's life and where we would have that immortality that undying human flesh on account of the Spirit of God dwelling inside us, that was God's plan. That was God's plan from the beginning. And um, that anything that's outside of that would be called condemnation, where we are condemned unto death. But that Jesus Christ came to condemn sin in the flesh, so that there's no condemnation for us, but that condemnation was actually towards sin and death, and that Jesus condemned it. So I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain that to you, that that you can understand what condemnation really is. And church, <clears throat> I see even on Facebook, and whenever I speak something or put put some posts up on uh, no condemnation as pertaining to immortality and undying human flesh, that. I mean, a lot of people are scared to like it. Not that I'm trying to say that you guys must like those posts, but I can see, you know, if I say God is love, we will find 200 likes on it. Um, but if I say God has come to give you eternal life in human flesh, it's like, um, I don't know if I can like that, and we will see 50 likes or 70 likes maybe on that. And to me, that is a very good indication just of what is in your hearts and where people are at concerning this. Uh, and what I think is happening is that the enemy doesn't want us to know what God had installed for us from the beginning. And he wants the whole thing about human flesh having immortal life and a physical resurrection from the dead. He wants all those things to basically be um, brushed under the carpet, you know, taken off the table. And let's just, just make this like a spiritual kind of a thing where we just have a spiritual life and, and we die and our spirits go to God and that is all that it's about. And what he wants to do is he wants to take away the power of life inside human flesh. And that was always his plan. That, you know, when God came to Adam and he said, Adam, you shall, don't eat of this tree for you will die. And he was talking about 
not just a, a disconnection in the spirit, but a physical death that would come to Adam, Satan came and said, you will not die. You know, it's, it's not a problem, you know. Don't worry about, you know, don't worry about what God is saying. Um, and, he, and I think he tried to get uh, Adam to just believe in just a spiritual life, not having life in the physical body. And um, when Jesus came, there were many people that denied that he came in the flesh. And John even goes so far to say that if you deny that Jesus came in the flesh, was resurrected in the flesh, that is seated at the right hand of the Father in the flesh, yeah, it's Antichrist. So the message of Christ is all about life in human flesh. And that revelation is where the power is to be free from sin in this life. And we're going to look at that today. Now, um, we're going to start from Ephesians. I want to read from Ephesians chapter, um, Ephesians chapter 1. Those of you that have Bibles with you, please open up, uh, open, up, you open up the Bible and read it with us. It says, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, it says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And then there's a colon explaining what verse 4 says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, that is, that, that might sound very complicated and all these different words and, you know, Paul using very uh, difficult concepts here for us. But let me just explain to you what those verses actually mean. What Paul is saying is very simple. He says, let us speak well of the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the word blessed, who has blessed us, who has spoken well of us with the highest and most eloquent blessings or spiritual blessings that is in heavenly places. Now, what is the word of blessedness? What is the blessing that is in heavenly places? You know, when we bless somebody, we speak a word over him. You know, we would find that Jacob would bless his sons and that blessing would be a word that he would speak over his children. What would the word of God or the blessing of God over man be? Very simple, the word of God. What is the word of God? The word of God is Jesus Christ that was resurrected from the dead, that is seated in human flesh at the right hand of the Father. And when we behold a man seated at the right hand of the Father, that man speaks of something. He's got a word. It, it, it says something. Like I said in one of the meetings um, here in the United States, when uh, Barack Obama became president, um, it said something because uh, a black man became president. 
And when a black guy becomes president, it says something. It says something about a nation. It says something about uh, freedom. It says something about democracy. It says it's got a voice. In the very same way as what uh, it would be when uh, Barack Obama became president, we found that a man, a human being in a, with a physical body, conquered death and was seated as a human at the right hand of the Father. That is a blessing. That's a blessing that's spoken. That is the highest, most eloquent speech you can ever find in the heavens about man. That's what it says here. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has got a word about us, who's got a message about us, which is Jesus. Now, this message that he has about us, what does that say? And in accordance to what is that? When a human, people, when a human went and sat at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says that this was in accordance, this was according as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. So when we see Jesus going and sit at the right hand of the Father, we see God's original plan with man manifesting right there. We see, and this is what Paul said, he said, when that happened, that was in accordance to what God has planned from before time. That means... That when God made the earth, when God made the heavens, when God took dust, gave dust uh, um, breath and life, and gave him opportunity to partake of eternal life by eating of the tree of life, um, that God's plan was to have a man incorporated or co-seated into the Trinity. That was God's plan from the beginning. That is what he says there. He says, let us speak well of God who has spoken well of us, and the language that he has spoken is by taking a man, putting that man in the Trinity, and that man there is the blessing of God over your life. That's what he says about us. This was all in accordance with what is planned from the beginning. And then it goes on in verse 5 and it explains what he has planned. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Now, now that might sound a bit funny because... We are now thinking God has predestined us unto the adoption of children. Now what is this adoption of children or adoption of sons? Um, you know, if we use westernized adoption, you know, or the, the European or Western way of thinking about adoption, uh, this verse will not make sense at all. Because we would say, in order for you to adopt a child, you the child has to be someone else's child, and then you adopt that child as your own child, uh, which means that God then predestined to have children that is not his own, um, and then adopt those children unto himself, which just makes no sense. The Hebrew concept, or God's concept of adoption of children, means the following. It means to have someone that is his, or one of his own children, um, and then give that child and manifest himself fully in that child. That is what the adoption means. And listen to what he says here. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, or adoption of children would be to, to say that, to bring into equality with him. 
by the good uh, by Jesus Christ unto himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now let's go and just read in Romans uh, 8 verse 23 what this adoption is. Uh, because when we start to understand what this adoption is, then we will start to understand, um, you know, Romans 8 and verse 7, where the Bible talks about the condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, let's go to um, Romans chapter 8. I hope you guys are still following me um, with all of this. It says... It says here, Paul talks about adoption in Ephesians, and now he also explains adoption in Romans 8 and what adoption is. And he says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So, what Paul is coming to say, what Paul is saying here, he says that we as Christians on the earth, even we who have the first fruit of the Spirit, meaning we have believed in the Lord, and now we have seen the, the effects of that belief, the effects of the Holy Spirit in our life, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, um, as well as the gifts of the Spirit, things like, gifts of help, gifts, gifts of administration, um, gifts of healing and all those kind of things. We see all of that in our life, yet we groan within ourselves. We are saying, this is not it. This is not the adoption. This is not what God had installed for us. What God had installed for us was not just the first fruit of the Spirit, but what God had installed for us is the adoption, which He planned from before time which we see in Ephesians, which we see the adoption in Jesus, where Jesus was adopted unto the fullness of what God has, which is an immortal, undying human body seated in the Trinity, which possesses immortality, a body that can never die on account of the Holy Spirit that lives in him, which conquers and rules over sin and death. In other words, Jesus was raised up from the grave by the glory of the Father or by the Spirit of the Father. The Spirit raised him up, put him at the right hand of the Father, where he is the word of blessing about us, which is the promise that we will have in his return the very same immortal human body, which, is, which has fully conquered sin, which has fully, even unto the point of death, wherein he's conquered death so that he has been made a son of God even in his physical body. For God possesses immortality. God possesses undying life. And now when, we, when he makes dust and adopts that dust unto him and unto the fullness of him, you'll find that that dust possesses no ability to die and live, and, and, and live in the quality of God's life forever in human, in, in flesh, in the physical. So here Paul comes and he says here, he says that we, even we who have received the Holy Spirit, we are groaning within ourselves, like all of nature groans, waiting for the adoption, which is, and let me read it again, it says in verse 23, waiting for the adoption, comma, 
the redemption of our body. So what it says is, is that God from before time decided that I will make dust. I will take, I'll, I'll create the heaven and earth and I'll take some of that dust and I will give that dust the ability to be alive. And then that dust can, by faith in me, have access to immortal life so that they can possess the life I have inside that dust and that that dust will forever be a partaker of God and be part of God. Now that is an amazing thing to think that, to think that God would take us, which is dust, and give us the opportunity to share in His life forever. To share in His life forever in equality with God. Man, that is absolutely awesome. God took what was temporal because heaven and earth had a beginning time. And He took what is temporal and gave what is temporal the opportunity to experience what is eternal. And not just eternity or eternal, but eternal life. That's what God has come to share with us. Now we need to understand all those things, people, to define salvation, to define redemption, to define the adoption, to define uh, what, why Jesus had to have a physical body and die, why he had to be raised from the dead. And you know, church, um, you need to understand that as, as, um, as you are in our web fellowship and I'm the pastor of this church, my, I've, my heart and my desire is for you to, to understand, and, and this is God's desire, to understand what the gospel is all about to experience this life that God has for us. And we can't just be stuck to the old um, Hebrew system where, oh, thank God, Pharaoh is not angry anymore, or, oh, thank God, Pharaoh is not going to punish me today, and, but you're still a slave. That is not what the grace message is about. The grace is God's influence on dust, so that dust can have the immortal life of God and be adopted unto the very life of God. That is the grace message, where we are influenced unto a place where we live above the death in the flesh, where we, where we find the resurrection power of Christ has conquered sin in our flesh and even conquered death, where we would see in the return of Christ that we will be raised from the dead and so forever be with God. Amen. Now, when we read Romans 8 and we read verse 1, it says... Um, and I'm just going to read these verses and, 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 and just explain them in short and end off that way. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Now if you read Romans 8 verse 1, obviously it flows from Romans 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7. Now when you come to Romans 4, you will see that the Bible says that Abraham, which was basically into pagan beliefs, he couldn't have children. Now what that would mean to, to Abraham and the people of that time is that he's, he would die. Since he couldn't have any children that could live on, um, you know, his, his bloodline would basically end right there. There would be nothing more for him. He wouldn't have any children, meaning Abraham, if he died, he could not live anymore. Yes, then he would have, it would have been all over when he dies. So Abraham was married to Sarah and he was already old, about 100 years of age, and he couldn't have any children. Sarah already carried death in her womb. 
she could not produce life. The only thing they were in was inside death. They couldn't live anymore. Uh, if they died, it would be the end of them. It would be the end of Abraham. Um, but what God came and in Abraham's story, he's telling us what is promised from before time to man. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. The only ability that you have is death. You cannot by your own self, by the ability of dust, produce anything. But I see that you, uh, my, my desire for you is to have life. So what I promise you is that I will bring life even out of this death by my ability. And you know what Abraham did? The Bible says Abraham believed God. He believed that God could do it. And to make a long story short, Abraham, out of Abraham came the whole Jewish nation. You know, and Abraham is still living today in the Jews. If you want to, his genealogy, his, his, we can have a genealogy today from a Jew up to Abraham. We can have, we can see how Abraham is still living today inside, um, you know, his seed is still here today. Uh, but the wonderful thing that we find um, in the story of Abraham is that Abraham, in chapter 4 and 5, you see that he never considered the deadness in his body to try and produce life from the deadness in his body, and he just believed God. That's all he did. Therefore, Abraham was not condemned unto death. For God ended that condemnation, how? By making a promise. So Abraham was basically condemned unto death because he didn't have the ability to produce children. Yet God comes and he condemned the death in Abraham by promising Abraham life. In the very same way, you know, man, we were dying. We had death in us as humans and we cannot possess immortality, uh, we cannot have an immortal body by the death, on account of the death that's in us. Meaning, if we live in the flesh, if we live like how, what would be Abraham living in the flesh? What would that be? That would be Abraham trying to have life by the ability that's inside him to produce children. He was already too old for that. Um, uh, Sarah was too old for that. And what God was trying to say is, Abraham, you cannot have life by your flesh. You will have life by me promising you life. And the very same way, God comes to us and say to us, don't be in the flesh. Don't try and produce life by your works. You will never be able to do that. Um, inside that, there is no life. But I condemn this death. I condemn the system where you would die and never live. And I will, I promise you life. That is what Jesus Christ came to do. That's why it says in Romans 8, um, or you see in Romans 7, Romans 7, Paul comes, he says, Man, you know, the more I consider my body, the more I consider my ability to have life, the more I find it is unto death. Uh, because the moment I want to do good, I see death is with me. I cannot do good. I cannot find life and immortality in my own ability. But blessed be the Lord, of, the Lord God and Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for me anymore. I'm not condemned to die anymore. I'm not condemned to have a life bound by sin anymore. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. For there is a law of life, not just a law of sin and death. What is this law of life? 
Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through our flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now what is he saying there? He's saying the following which is actually very simple. He says, and I'm going to end off with this. He says, in the flesh you cannot produce immortality or immortal life. You don't have that ability. The law had the promise of life. If you do all these things, you will live. But we, by the, by the weakness of the flesh, like Abraham's weakness or Sarah's dead womb, that inability to produce life by yourself, we cannot. And we see that. But God came and promised those who in their flesh has no ability to have life, that he will give them immortality. Immortal life, like the body of Jesus. He promised that. And, and when we see Jesus came, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Okay, In other words, he entered a body that cannot by his works produce life. Okay, Then what did he do? He was the representative of all of mankind. He didn't live by the law, but he lived by the Spirit, believing God is his Father. Never fell into a place where he tried to produce life by his works. And then died. So what happens is, here comes the Son of God, representing all of mankind, incarnated into flesh. He took the death of all flesh, which is all of us, the curse of dying. He took upon him and then died. But then what happened was, because his life and the life he lived was on account of the Spirit in him and not his own works, that Spirit had access to bring the life of God to the human flesh of Jesus. And that raised him from the dead. When, when he was raised from the dead, we see that God condemned sin in the flesh Meaning, he ended sin in the flesh and gave life to, to human flesh and put that flesh at the right hand of the Father, having eternal life. Which now means the following. We who can receive the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, what is the promise to us? Exactly what we beheld in Jesus. He condemned sin in the flesh, saying that man shall not die but man shall live by the Spirit of God. So he can come to us and say to us, we who, who, who don't try and have life by our works, but receive the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead by believing there's a man seated at the right hand of the Father, by believing that we are united with God in Christ, we who believe that receive the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. What will that spirit do? Church, that spirit, uh, um, the Bible says, who will bring in an accusation against the elect of God? It, nobody. Who will bring in condemnation against us? No, it's Christ who condemns. We, we're not condemned anymore by the law. Christ condemned the law system. Christ condemned works in the flesh with, by killing it. So, 
we're not the beings that are condemned anymore. Sin got condemned by Jesus. Glory to God. So no, no one can bring an accusation against us. God justifies. Who does God justify? Romans 4 verse 5. God justifies the ungodly. How does he justify the ungodly? By giving the ungodly, those that are ungodly according to law, immortality and eternal life. How? By a free gift. Glory to God. Um, this is the good news, my friend. Let me end it off with just recapping. God promised, God's plan from before time was that you will have immortal human flesh and share in the life of God. That is what God planned from before time. He came in Jesus, when man then sinned, man entered into death. So in other words, the plan of God would not be fulfilled in us because we are in a system where we are dying. But what Jesus Christ came to do, he incarnated himself into that system and died it away condemned it, ended it, killed it, was raised up in human flesh and made the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead available for all of us so that we who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and that there is a human at the right hand of the Father, we receive the spirit that says human flesh is alive at the right hand of the Father. When we believe, receive that spirit, we say, or that belief, that is called the spirit of life. Jesus is called the, the, the sevenfold, the slain lamb is called the sevenfold spirit of God, according to Romans. So when we see the lamb slain, when we see Jesus raised, that spirit, that belief that says we can live and have his life, and that is alive in him, when we receive that spirit, what does that spirit do? It ends sin in our life. We see the first fruit of that spirit, and in the return of Christ, we'll raise our bodies from the graves and we will have immortality. Glory to God. Church, thank you so much for watching this. I would like to advise you to uh, download this message, uh, cut a CD from it, put it in your car when you drive to work, listen to it over and over and let it just bless you. Let us just pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach this awesome message to people today. Thank you that people's lives are deeply impacted, the sick are healed, people get understanding, and they are set free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. We would love to hear from you. Um, if, you uh, if you need any prayer, uh, you can go right now to dynamicministries.com, click on Web Fellowship, and you'll see a tab that says Web Pastors, and contact any of our Web Pastors. They are ready to minister to you right now. Thank you so much for watching this. Know that you are loved and blessed by God. Amen.